generation that's kind of going through this church that uh, I, can't, I can't really explain. I mean, people are being raised up. And there's so many people that are right in this congregation that have these individual amazing ministries. And I got to see so many of them this week and the past weeks. And I can tell you that this community is truly being touched by Jesus. You know, from the, the, from the, the guy who is like the, the drug addict on the street to the person that kind of holds the highest office in the community. They're all being touched by what New Hope is doing. And we get to be a part of that, being the, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And it's just such a, a blessing. And I'm just so blown away. I mean, all the years, 12 years of, of uh, being a pastor here, this has by far been the greatest season that God is doing right here. And you guys are the greatest people. And God is, God is going to do even greater things. This is just the beginning, amen? So uh, we're so happy to have you, old friends, new friends, just welcome. And we're just going to, we always start with uh, praise because, man, I, when I think about the goodness of God, when I think about where I would have been if, if God didn't intercede in my life, it just, it just messes me up. And when I think about the mistakes that I've made and the shortcomings that I've had and just how good God is to me, like I don't deserve any of it, but God just continues to bless and to bless and to bless and have grace on me and, and, and pick me up when I fall down and, and put people around me. I mean, I, I can't explain it. So like when that music starts, like, I just can't help but lift my hands, and I can't help but, but shout, and I can't help but, but cry because when I think about the goodness of God that I didn't deserve any of this, but He loved me anyway. And honestly, if you can get that, if you can get the love of God in your heart, who He is and how much He loves you, not when you get it all right, not when you get every single thing perfectly, not when you prayed two hours that day and you read your Bible and you didn't swear at anybody and you, and you were totally perfect. Like it's not all that. Like He loves you how you are right now. And no matter what shortcomings you have, like the Bible says that He who started a good work in you is going to take you to completion. So from this point on, wherever you're at, this is, this is going to be the, the worst day you ever had. Every day is going to get better and better and better and better. Amen. If we could just stand to our feet, I'd like to open us up in prayer. Today's going to be a great day. Do you believe it? Today's going to be a great morning. Amen. This might be the greatest week of your life. May as well be, right? You got to have a best week of your life. Why can't it be next week? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for all my brothers and sisters in Christ who have gathered here. Lord, I thank you for, um, I thank you for the testimonies that are in this room. The people that have been forgiven, the people that have been restored, the marriages that you saved, the people that you've set free. I can go on and on and on. But Lord, we just want to praise you for how good you are. So Lord, we just say, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way in this church, in this service, in our lives, and in our community. And we give you honor, and we give you praise, 
in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wish somebody would shout amen. 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 Take it away, worship team. Never 
You've given me freedom.
sing it again. You've given me freedom. Faith. 
Your shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no
Tasted your mercy, Lord. I've tasted your mercy, been touched by your love. I choose to be thankful.
Lord, we just praise you and we honor you, give glory to your name. Thank you, Lord, for this holy moment. Just pray in Jesus' name that you would just fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your life. More of you and less of me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for every child in here. Lord, I pray that that you would be with them for all their days. Lord, I pray that the time that they would spend in their classes, Lord, that this would be seeds that would be sown in them, that would plant deep roots, Lord. Lord, I I thank you, Lord, that this generation is going to be different. That they are going to be the salt and light. Lord, I thank you for the children here. Lord, I pray a blessing on the teachers and the nursery workers. That your love and light would shine through them. And Lord, we thank you for uh, generations and and a transgenerational vision for ministry. Lord, we thank you. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The children can go back to their classes, meet with their teachers and nursery workers back at the entrance. And we're going to go and move on to everybody's favorite part of service, the offering. Amen. One person's happy. You should be happy, though. 
Proverbs chapter 3. Ushers, if you want to begin to make your way forward. Bible says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. How many of you know that God doesn't need your money? Right? He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. That's, I remember I heard George Carlin say before, God always needs your money. He always wants your money. But it's not like that, right? God's, God will, will pay for the vision that he has. He'll give the provision for the vision. And he's, he's proven himself again and again that he knows. Like God wants the ministries that we want to start, that we want to support. He wants them done worse than we want them done. Amen. And he's going to see it that it will be done. But God's after your heart. He's not after your money. And a lot of people, you know, are, you know, the Bible says it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so for a lot of people, you know, they say, I love the Lord and, and all this. But, you know, when their finances start to get tight, that, that all of a sudden those finances become the number one priority in their life. And, and Jesus said that you're not supposed to worry about those things. But if you put the kingdom first and you put him first, then everything will be added to you. So the Lord has given us this avenue that um, it says that he gives you seed to the sower. So he's given you time, he's given you treasure, he's given you talent, he's given you ability, he's given you life, which you take and, and you work and you, and you earn, and then you take a portion of that money and you give the first fruits, the first and the best, right? God deserves your best, right? You don't just give them your leftovers, right? You want his first and his best. So you sow your first and your best. And his word says that he will bless you. That he will bless every part of your life. So he's given this avenue to you to support the church, to support the local ministries, to give generously. And in that, he says that when you put him first, that he'll take care of every one of your needs in abundance. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for... Our time, thank you for the talent that you've given us. Thank you for uh, putting us in a country like this. Your word says that you've, you've already determined the places and times where people have lived. Lord, and we know that just being in America, we're blessed here than, than most of the world, that we live in a place of excess, Lord. But we thank you that you are our source, you are our supply, Lord, and I just pray according to your word in the name of Jesus that each and every person that gives, that you would multiply, uh, you would multiply that seed back unto them so they would not lack in any good thing. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Go ahead, you guys can start working your way back. We're going to go ahead and we're going to just roll right into today's message. We started last week and um, the Lord has really had on my mind this, this idea of the incarnation and, and what it really meant. And, and it's something that a lot of times I think we think about around Christmas time because we always get like the, 
the baby Jesus messages and the babe born in the manger. But if you think about just how amazing it is that uh, God was in this perfect environment, that, uh, you know, it, it was unstained by sin, that there was angels, that there was heavenly choirs, that he was seated high upon a throne and, and he decided to step down from heaven and become something that God never was, to actually put on flesh, to put on a suit of flesh and dwell amongst us, that he came to live uh, in, you know, you guys who uh, read a lot um, of, you know, around the Christmas season, you know, it, it talks about you will call his name Emmanuel or God with us. That God came and dwelt among us, that he made his home among us, that uh, not only did he teach and, and do miracles, but he actually lived with people. He actually laughed with people. He cried with people that, that, that this incarnation of God was, was with sinful men and sinful women. And how now that he sends the Holy Spirit, that that's what we are supposed to be, right? It's, it's you know, Christ isn't the last name of Jesus, it wasn't, you know, Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, and Jesus Christ, right? The, the Christ family. You know, Jesus Christ, Jesus was his name, Jesus of Nazareth, but Christ means the anointed one. And Jesus is today seated on the right hand of God, but, but, but the Christ, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is still here today in his body that we might be the light and the love and the presence and the ambassador of Jesus everywhere that we go and everywhere that we're planted. So we're called to live and invade the deepest and darkest space with the light and love of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to kind of continue a little bit uh, on that theme and kind of build off of it and also sort of build off a theme that was kind of established a little bit by Paul at the, at the um, Hope for the Streets event on Friday. So um, my message this morning is just simply titled, Going After the One. It's called Going After the One. So I'm going to pray and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, and I pray that you would add a blessing uh, to your word. Lord, that you would anoint me to teach and preach. Lord, that you would... Have me say what needs to be said and not say what doesn't need to be said, Lord. And that you would be the, the true teacher and the true preacher today. Lord, so I pray that you would open the people's hearts, that the word would go forth and do exactly what it's supposed to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I talked a little bit uh, last week about some of our experiences um, on the missions trip out in California. And a big portion of what we did was outreach to the homeless in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I talked a little bit about, you know, just seeing the, the, the squalor, the poverty, the open drug use, the, the hopelessness, and kind of, you know, kind of internally struggling with a, a lot of different thoughts and, and kind of looking at the place and being like, where is God in all of this? And of course, we, we saw it through the people that God sent to provide hope and comfort and, and, and even uh, just meet their needs with little things like a bottle of water or, 
or, or a bag of, of chips. And, and there was another thought that I had. I'm like, okay, like, this is great, and, and, and this has been really eye-opening for me and the team. But it says that there's over 58,000 homeless people in Los Angeles. 58,000. And you can, I mean, it's everywhere. You drive, I mean, it's everywhere. Everywhere where you look, you see a small tent city. You know, you go to Skid Row, it's multiple tents and t- it's for blocks and blocks. But everywhere around Los Angeles, you just, you know, whether it's by train tracks, I, I mean, there's just, there's homeless people everywhere. There's homeless people on the beach. And I'm like, okay, like, we're out here and, you know, we're, we're, we, we flew all the way out here and we took a team and we're with this other ministry and we're, we're, we're handing out water and we're giving people information on where they can get help and, and we're trying to pray with people. But like with a homeless population of 58,000, like, is there, are we really doing anything? Like, like, am I really accomplishing anything by being out here? Because the problem is so immense. It's, it's so big. It's so crazy. And when I look at a lot of the things that are going on in the world, it's, it's like that. It's, it, it's overwhelming. You know, obviously this, this country has a huge drug problem. By the way, in case you didn't know, um, I think that they just put out a statistic for the amount of overdose deaths in the United States is about 120,000 people have died in one year in the United States. I think that's February 22 to February 23. Just to put that in perspective, 57,000 people died in Vietnam. The entire Vietnam War, double that died in one year just from drugs that are, are flooding into our streets. And so we obviously have a huge drug problem and part of the solution of, you know, how we wanted to help is, you know, we started a recovery home like the bridge and and every time that I get into a conversation or I, or I share kind of what we do, I always get the same question from people. Well, what is your success rate? What is your, what is your success rate? You know, once an addict, always an addict. You know, what is your success rate? And it's not like I keep good records anyway. And, you know, sometimes it can kind of get a little bit like, it, it can get a little bit like disheartening because, you know, you, you try to, you're, you're trying to help people and you're believing the best and, you know, this one fails and that one fails and we've had guys go out and, and, and overdose, you know, two or three weeks after they, after they, they leave our, our program and, and, you know, I've had seasons where I literally had to kick every single person out of that house because every single person was doing drugs. And you, and you get frustrated and you're kind of like, man, am I actually making a difference here? Like, can I make a difference? Like, like if there's such an immense problem, like, really, what am I going to do? I feel like I'm, I'm taking, like, a glass of water and, like, pouring it into the river. Like, trying to get it to rise up. Like, you know, like, what am I really doing? Even on Fridays, like, our, our Hope for the Streets event, it's been great. And we've been getting, you know, uh, kids from the neighborhood have been coming down and, and those basketball courts and everything, it, it's been filling up. But, you know, people will say, well, you know, you just don't understand. Like, the kids are different. There's this huge problem. They're, they're, they're doing drugs. They're, they're carrying guns. Like, 
you know, yeah, you might, you might have a couple people there and that's good, but really, like, are you making a difference? And, you know, we had, uh, we had uh, Bruce Ladeview here. He's the, the, the president of um, Children's Rescue Initiative. And I was like, yeah, you know, human trafficking. And this was before the, you know, the Road to Freedom kind of came out. And now it's like everybody's kind of on the bandwagon. But, you know, he was here and, and, and I said, man, this is our chance. We can, we can kind of get involved and we can partner up with, with his ministry and, and hopefully, you know, we can, we can have this to be part of our ministry and we can help people. But do you know that there's 50 million people that are in slavery or some type of human trafficking like today? 50 million people. So like how much can we actually help? We, we, have, we have Hope's Haven open. We're, we're, well, should be all the way open in August. We're working on getting it open. And, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, that, that we really, you know, want to do is like any woman who has a, who, who is pregnant and is kind of in a, in a situation and, and, and thinks that, you know, probably that they, they're not going to be able to raise their baby. They don't have a place to live. Maybe they're in an abusive relationship and, and you know, and they think that maybe, the best thing I can do is have an abortion. Maybe we can give them an alternative and, and give them a place to live and come around them. But, like, when, when we get Hope's Haven open, which by God's grace we should be by the end of August, you know, we only have enough room for four women to live there at a time. And with one million abortions every year, are we really going to be able to make a difference? And I think that when you look at the, the size of some of the problems in the world and, and, and even in life, sometimes, you know, just things in life, right? It's like your whole house is like a mess and you're like, all right, I want to clean my house, but like where do I start? Like everything is like a mess. And like when I think of like the world's problems, you know, it, they can be so massive and and you can almost get paralyzed and be like, you know what, I'm never going to make a change. Like, you know, I, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to give up because really, you know, what can I do? What are the, the things that I can do? But I know that the reality of it is that, you know, you just didn't get saved so that you can just go to heaven. You got saved because God has a, a plan and a purpose for your life. God's way of, of changing the world was to build the church. And the church is his agent to change the things in the world. It's not, it, it, we're not going to change the world through politics. Okay, we're not, we're not going to change the world. Okay, if we just get the right candidate in there, and we just get the right amount of people in the Senate, and the right amount of people in the House that think like we do, then everything will be peaches and cream. It's not going to work like that. God has called the church to be the difference maker in the world. He has called you and I to be the change in the world, no matter how daunting or how big it, it looks like. He's called you to be that person, not to just, not to just come on Sunday and observe a ritual or, or sit in and, and, and go through a nice service and then go back to your life. He's called you to, to be part of his mission on the earth, to, to make a change 
in the world and be out there and be out in the world like the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus came down and, and came amongst us. We're to go amongst the people and the community and show them the light and love. But, but unfortunately, I think that most of the problems in the world and the reasons why things are so bad is because we really haven't been doing the things that we're called to do as a church. We haven't really been stepping up and doing things as Christians that we are called to do. We haven't been living out this book. And I believe that, that if we begin living out this book and doing the things that it says that we are called to do, then you're going to begin to see the change happen in the world. You know, it, it's like Jesus ascended. And right before he ascended, he said, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And, and, and he talked about that you'll be my witnesses in um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, you'll be my witnesses in right where you live in your community, in the surrounding regions, and the entire nation, and all around the world. And he's going to empower you with the power of the Holy Spirit that, that I'm going to anoint you with the same spirit that I was anointed with so that when you go out, it's not just you going out, it's the whole power of God and the resources of heaven that are going out with you. Amen. But... Where to start, right? That's always the question. How can I make a change? How can I do something? Some of us feel like, man, I'm barely hanging on by a thread and you're talking about changing the world. I don't know what I can do. I'm just, I'm just trying to hold myself together. Well, I, I want to, this morning, look at a very simple parable. A and it's simple, yet if you get it, it's the key to everything, and, and we're going to get really practical, and I'm going to give you guys a challenge that started uh, just this past Friday. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, is where we're going to camp out for a little while. And I think that what we do is we make things way too complicated all the time. I mean, you know, I've shared the story a lot, like, you know, how did Hope for the Streets get started? Me and two other dudes walking down the street dragging a, a, a cart with water bottles in it. I didn't have all the answers. I didn't have everything that we should do. I just, walked, I just walked down the street saying, you know what, God just wants us to be present. And then that opened up another thing and another thing. And it's like, you know, well, well what are we going to do? We need to do this and we need to do that. Like, no, we're going to go down there. We're going to be present. We're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers. We're going to just be the church and we're just going to let organically things happen from there. We're going to keep it simple. And honestly, like, you know, Things that Jesus taught, they're not all that hard to understand. It's just the application is where we drop the ball at. So let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1. 
It says, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him and to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, I, I often think about how often, when you truly read the Bible, that religious people constantly attack Jesus because of his engagement with lost people. And, and, and his engagement with, with lost people who, in this uh, text they call notorious sinners and tax collectors, it wasn't just to invite them to a crusade and, and, they, and the person was up on the stage and, and preached to them and, and, and then, they, then he got on a plane and they never saw him again. It was, he actually engaged with people. He, he took time to enter into their space and to sit with them and eat with them and, and actually build relationships with them. And we see this in other places in the Bible. We, we can talk about him having dinner with, with Levi, the tax collector. We can talk about him seeing Zacchaeus up in the tree and saying, I'm supposed to come over your house and, and, and be with your friends. We can talk about when he was at Simon the leper's house and, and the woman with the alabaster box comes in and, and breaks it and begins this act of extravagant worship over his feet, and, and they say to him, well, if you really knew what kind of woman that was, you would not let her touch you. You would not, you would not have her around you. And listen, Jesus didn't enter into their space in the sense that he thought that their lifestyle was okay. He, he, he loved them, but he didn't conform to their behaviors. He, he instead showed them a different model and showed them that there is a more excellent way to life. And we need, as a church, to understand that, that, that you can love somebody, and loving somebody is not giving them license to sin. Did you get that? You can accept somebody as a person in the sense that they're made in the image and likeness of God and, they're, and, and, and they need forgiveness and they, they're a sinner and they need, they need to be forgiven just like you did before you knew Jesus. And that just because you accept them as human beings doesn't mean that you accept their lifestyle. See, someone else's sin should not rub off on me because... I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and I'm covered by the blood. My, their sin shouldn't rub off on me. My holiness should rub off on them. See, that, that's what we're called to do. We're not called to be thermometers where, you know, when, if we enter into a room with a bunch of people who are far from God, that, that, that we drop down our standards and start acting like them. No, when we enter the room, we should be like a thermostat where they begin to rise up to the standards because they see the Christ in us and the Holy Spirit in us. You know, I, I mean, their, their sin's not going to rub off on me. Their demons aren't going to rub off. Well, well, you better be careful because, you know, you better be careful. Let, 
let, let pe- don't let anybody just lay hands on you because they might have demons. You know what? If, if they have demons, they won't lay their hands on me because those demons are going out in the name of Jesus. I can tell you that. I, I can tell you that right now. I'm not scared of somebody who has demons. I'm not scared of somebody who's on drugs and alcohol. I'm not scared of somebody who's been broken and chewed out by the world because that's who we are called to minister. Jesus said, I came to seek and save what is lost. You don't got to be scared. Greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. And, And we get into this place where the longer sometimes people remain in church, they kind of get into a holy huddle. And they forget the fact that there's a whole bunch of people out there that are dying and are going to hell that are lost. And they, they don't know the way back if nobody, if nobody shows them and if, and if people treat them like lepers and nobody wants to touch them. And if we act too good and too holy to spend time with people who are lost, then how will they ever hear unless there's a preacher? And, and, you know, to to get people to understand what he was doing, for for Jesus to get people to to understand the the spiritual truths, he, you know, that was an accusation that they laid against him. Look at him sitting with sinners and, and all these people. If he was really a holy man, he would have nothing to do with them. And so Jesus begins to tell them a story, and, and we call this a parable. And how many of you guys remember what to think when I say parable, you think parallel. All right. People are getting it. Parallel, right? So, so what is, it, it's, it's a parallel, right? Parallel lines, they, they run right with each other. So you have something that they would understand laid along a spiritual truth. So a a worldly principle, a worldly thing that they would understand lays against the spiritual truth so that they would understand the kingdom of God. And these people understood sheep. And they understood shepherds. But he was trying to get them to understand who he was as the good shepherd. And, and the illustration was that he is the good shepherd and we are the sheep. And, and this is the part that if you spent any time in church, that the pastor will go, yeah, you know, they all call us sheep because, you know, we're all dumb. And everybody's like, yeah, we're dumb. Like, and I'm always like sitting there like, no, you're dumb. I'm not dumb. Like, I, you know, I've seen people like actually cheer. Like, how many know that the Bible calls us sheep? And like, that's because we're dumb. Everybody's like, amen, we're dumb, yeah. Like, what? I don't know, just, you spend enough time in the church world, man. You see some weird stuff, but I'm going to keep moving on. Verse 3. He spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep? If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, I I don't know if you're like me, but like when I read this, it does not seem prudent to me 
to leave 99 just because one gets lost. Like, isn't it more important to stay with the 99 so nothing happens to them so that you don't lose the 99? Like, you know, why, if the one is lost, you still have 99, you probably want to stay and protect them. But what the illustration is trying to tell you is how much the shepherd cares about every individual sheep. He cares about every single sheep. Do you know that the Bible says that he knew you in your mother's womb? And, and I, don't, I, I don't claim to have my mind wrapped around all of this, how it could work. But, but he says that even before you were born, there was a book that was written with your life and everything that you would do. So he knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Before your mom and dad ever shared a milkshake together, he knew you. He knew who you were. But he loves the sheep. He loves every one of the sheep. And so one of the sheep is lost. And, and he said that I, I have to leave the 99 because there's one of my sheep that is lost. And, and you know that you know, just because the sheep are together in a pack, there's a measure of protection there. Like a wolf might be more powerful than a sheep, but, but if he sees 99 kind of all huddled together, the, the wolf is not going to necessarily attack. That's why it's so important that people are plugged into a church. Because the wolf doesn't usually attack when, when, when everybody's together in, in, in community and everybody's rolling together. But the wolf will definitely attack when the sheep kind of wanders off and kind of is over here by itself. Well, you know, I mean, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church, you know, because I just can't find anyone that believes just like I do. And, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm a real Christian. I'm not like all these other, you know, Christians. And I'm not going to be around all those hypocrites. But you go to work with hypocrites. You go, you go to the mall with hypocrites. You go everywhere else with hypocrites. What's one more, what's one more place? But, but the reality of it is, is that if you want to float by yourself, that's who the lion looks to devour. The person that's by theirself, the lost sheep, the wandering sheep, like that's the one that, that is about to get uh, attacked. So the, the, the shepherd knows that, that that lost sheep is in danger. And, and so the, the shepherd is leaving the 99, the, the, the lost sheep is in, in serious trouble because one thing that, that, that happens with sheep, if the, if the sheep get hopelessly lost, like if they wander off from the pack and they, they don't know where to go, what they do is they, they just bed down and they kind of just give up. So the sheep will just bed down because they're so far from the flock, they don't know which way to go, they don't have a shepherd to guide them, and at that point, either a, a wolf or some other kind of animal is going to attack them and kill them, or they're just literally going to starve to death because they won't go anywhere. So if the shepherd doesn't go to find the lost sheep, that sheep will die. They're not just going to stand there and, and the lost sheep is going to just snap out of it and be like, okay, I got to go, go north a kilometer and then I got to make a right at the tree. Like, no, they're, they're going to bed down and they're lost. And, and if nobody goes and rescues them, they will die wherever they're lost at. What if you lost one of your kids? What, what if you lost one of your kids that, that, that you're 
maybe you're out at, at Kennywood or, or some amusement park and you have three kids, then all of a sudden you look and you only got two and you have no idea where your other kid is at. Would you just be like, man, you know what, whatever, I already got two. And you know what, man, I'm sick of them eating all the food in my house, so, you know, I got two kids, I lost one, I'm just going to let it go. I mean, unless you have some serious issues, you would just start searching everywhere, like, oh my God, like, where is my kid? Like, where did they go? And it'd be in your mind that, like, I hope somebody didn't kidnap them, or, or I hope that they're not just wandering onto one of them water rides, and, and I don't know, and you would search everywhere, and you'd begin shouting, and, and say, my kid is lost, can you help me? And, and you might even call security and get people involved, and, and your heart would be beating, and your, your stomach would be upset because your child is lost, and you don't know where your child is. I, I remember uh, one time when, when I was a, a kid, they had these made-for-TV movies, and every once in a while, they would have a made-for-TV movie. And one of the made-for-TV movies was this movie called Adam. And, and some of you uh, older folks may remember it, but it was, it was about this boy named Adam, this guy John Walsh, who was, he was the host of America's Most Wanted for a, a lot of years, but he had a child that was kidnapped from a mall. And his child was taken from the mall, and, and they found his they, they found his child dead. And it was, it was just a heartbreaking story. And like kind of right after that came out, I happened to be at the mall shopping with my mom. And I was little at the time. And if you guys think I have a bad sense, I had a bad sense of humor then. And, and I thought that it would be real funny to just hide from my mom. So she's walking around like, she's just walking around shopping and like if you've ever saw those clothes racks that kind of have like the circle full of clothes, I kind of like busted in there and I was just like kind of crouched down, hiding among the clothes and like you couldn't see me. And like all of a sudden I hear my mom, she's like, Ricky, Ricky, where are you at? Where are you at? And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, <laughs> like I'm cracking up, right? I'm like, now she's like panicked. Now she's screaming. Now she's like, and I'm, and I'm holding tight. I'm holding tight like where I'm at, like we're going to take this the full way, right? I'm already committed at this point, you know. And she's screaming and she's freaked out and she's telling people from the store and asking them to lock the doors and everything else. And, and I was safe, but, but, that, but that heart that, that your child is lost and your child is danger, that's the heart of God for lost people. And I wish we would get that this morning. Because if we would get that this morning, then, then we would be more involved with stuff that, that we do. And we would see like what we're called to do as way more important. Because the Bible says that we're to have the mind of Christ. And that we're, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And with that same passion that, 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 that if you lost a child, that's that same passion that, that God has for his lost children. Man, you know, well, you know that that, you know, that person, they, they spent a lot, they, you know, they spent a lot of time in prison, you know, and they, they've done a bunch of stuff. They're lost. Well, you know, you know, that, that girl, you know, she's been running around with a lot of guys. They're lost. 
You know they're on drugs. You know they drink every day. They're, they're, they're lost. They're lost and they don't know how to get back home. And, and they don't know about how the love of God can transform their life. They don't know that the thing that they're searching for and they're trying to find happiness in. And, and they just keep hitting mirage after mirage. They, they don't know that they're truly searching for the love of God to fill that hole in their heart, that God-shaped hole that can only be filled by God. And they're just hopelessly wandering through life trying to trying to fix their life and and trying to heal their life when there's only one thing that can heal and his name is Jesus the one who died on a cross the one who came down and and took on flesh and and lived a life that we could never live and died the death that that we should have died and and sent the power of the Holy Spirit and then powered his church to say go find my lost sheep and if nobody tells them, they're never going to know. They're not our enemy. They're captives. They don't know. They're lost. That's why the religious people couldn't understand. Why is he sitting with sinners? Because I came to seek and save what is lost. Is it the healthy that need a doctor or the sick? And as Christians, we kind of Pretend that, you know what, well, we're all doctors, but we're all going to hang out with healthy people. Sometimes you've got to go to where they are so that you can give them the good news. And you know what, maybe, maybe you'll try to witness to a lot of people and you'll try to help people. And maybe not everybody you talk to is going to be ready. But when they're ready... When they're ready, it, it, it makes all the difference. Verse 5, it says, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. That, that he walks up and he finds the lost sheep and, and he throws it on his shoulders. And, and notice what it doesn't say. Well, you know, the shepherd would take the sheep and he'd find it lost and he'd break its legs. And then throw it upon his shoulder and he can't, you know... The, the Bible does, you know, the, the shepherd doesn't hurt the sheep. I'm sorry. Doesn't happen. The shepherd's not here to hurt the sheep. The shepherd's here to heal the sheep, to save the sheep. He died for the sheep. He said, I didn't come here to condemn the world. I came that through me the world might be saved. So I'm sorry if somebody told you that, that long illustration and you thought it was cool that the shepherd came and break, broke the legs of the sheep. But I don't believe that that ever happened. I think somebody made that up and it's one of these preaching stories that gets passed along along because preachers as a whole can't find any original material. So they heard somebody say it and they thought it was cool even though there's, it doesn't say that in the Bible and there's no historical evidence. And, and that's how people get a misconception of God. Well, I'm lost so God needs to break my legs. No, I need to know that, that the Lord died for me while I was still a sinner. That he loves me with the very same love that he loves the Son. That he came to restore me. That, it, that, that it's his joy to set me free. That it's his joy to cover me with a, with a robe of righteousness and put a ring of authority on my figure, finger and put the sandals on my feet. That's the God that we serve. He... Religious people like to beat the sheep. But that's not what the shepherd does. The shepherd carries the sheep. 
verse 6, it says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just persons who need no repentance. Did you hear that? Joy in heaven. What do we say here when somebody gets saved? There's a party that kicked off in heaven with your name on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So I want you to see three things that the shepherd does with the sheep. Number one, they go to where the lost are. They find the lost sheep. Number two, they carry the sheep. That doesn't mean that like we just pray with them and then we never see them again. No, we come alongside with them and we carry them. We carry them and we help them. We help them get back in the flock and back on their feet. And the final thing they do is they rejoice. They rejoice because the one that was lost is now found. That, my brothers and sisters, that's the heart of God. And here's the challenge that was instituted on Friday at Hope for the Streets. But I'm going to reissue it because I know not all of you were there at Hope for the Streets. Everybody put number one in the air everybody here can reach one person can you reach one can you reach one single person can you do that go ahead and put your fingers down that's not a hard task reach one person there, there's an old lesson on on investing and it, it talks about the the power of compound interest and it usually starts with this question well if somebody was going to give you a million dollars or a penny that would double every day for 30 days which one would you take and most people would say well give me the million you know what's a penny that that doubles every day but if you look at it uh, the penny deal like within a week it's only be 64 cents right it's not even enough not even enough to buy a Snickers bar so within a week you took the penny somebody else took a million dollars you got 64 cents but you got three weeks left so um, after about two weeks you're up to about 82 dollars again remember it's the amounts doubling every day so everything's doubling every day so two weeks you only got 82 dollars again not a whole heck of a lot, but, you know, um, it's better than the penny. Now, after three weeks, because it kept doubling, now you're north of $10,000. Not bad, but still not a million dollars. But there it starts kind of picking up the pace pretty rapidly. And after 28 days, you pass the $1 million mark. And, 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 but you still, got, you still got two more days left. So after 28 days, you're all the way up to 1.4 million. And then the next day, you have 2.8 million. And then the day after that, you have $5.6 million if you just take a penny every day and doubled. See, that's the power in the kingdom of reaching the one. It starts small and it seems insignificant. It seems like it doesn't really matter that, that I do this or that I talk to this person. Because there's so many problems 
uh, in, in the world. And, but the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It looks small and it, and, and it looks insignificant. But, but, but if you and I reach up one person and those people go and, and they reach another two people. And now you got six people and all six of those people go and reach six more people and and then you got 12 and those 12 and then it just begins to grow and and compound exponentially and that's how the kingdom will grow and that's how the kingdom will change by just reaching the one you can change the world by just by by just reaching the one you just have to start with with looking for one remember i talked about la and and, and the homeless issue we, we we went there and i'm thinking like this problem's too great it's too big and after we were done, we're sitting there and we're kind of talking about our experiences and, and the people we witnessed to and the things that we saw. And there's this dude, he just keeps making all this noise. And he's right behind us and he's, he's making this noise and he's folding this stuff up and he's packing all this stuff up. And I'm like, what the heck is that dude doing? That dude was packing all his stuff up. Because he was getting ready to come to the Dream Center and he was getting ready to leave Skid Row and he was about to get help. I, I can't save all 58,000 homeless people, but I can find one. I, I, can, I can find one. And, and, I, and honestly, in our time of running the men's home, I, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people go back out on the streets and, 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 and we failed a, a couple times and, and I'm not... I'm probably not going to be able to solve the entire drug problem, but you get a guy like Evan who, who came from a rehab, who came to our men's home, who started on the worship team, who got married to an awesome woman in this church and now leads the youth group. We might not be able to help every single person who has a drug problem, but I can help one. I can help one. 50 million people. In, in, in human slavery and, and, and trafficking, labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And I might not be able to rescue every single one, but this past Thursday I got to have lunch with, with, with uh, Bruce Labadoo from Children's Rescue Initiative. And he was showing me on his phone that just that day, Three traffickers from India were arrested and thrown in prison. And there were seven young girls who were saved from sex trafficking that were rescued and that were placed in a safe house and, and were going to have a new life. We might not be able to save all 50 million, but I just saw seven get, get free. And I saw three traffickers put in jail. And Hope's Haven will be open soon. And... And there's probably still going to be girls out there that, that'll make that choice. And I, I probably can't stop every, every unborn child from an abortion. But maybe we can stop one. And who knows what that child will be. Maybe he'll be the next Billy Graham. Maybe he'll be the next Reinhard Bonnke. Maybe he'll be the next Martin Luther King. The next Dr. Kennedy. He'll create the cure for cancer. You don't know. Because we can't save everybody but we can start with one everybody can find one you can find one that's all you got to do 
help one, they help one, then they help one, then they help one, and the kingdom builds and the kingdom grows, and pretty soon it just becomes this, this snowball like I was talking about that just goes, and that's the, that, that'll change the world. That'll change the world. One small story, and then I'll close today. I've told the story before, but there's a man who would all, a lot of times, he would go out on the beach, and he would sit on the beach, and he would do his writing. He was retired, but he, he liked to write. He would sit out, and he'd look on the beach in the morning, and he would do his writing there. And while he was doing his writing, he looked, and kind of washed up on the shore were thousands of starfish, thousands and thousands of starfish. And he looked out, and he saw this young boy kind of walking along the shore, and and, and the boy was walking along, and he's, he's grabbing these starfish, and he's throwing them back in the ocean, and, and he's throwing them back in the ocean, and he's curious about what the boy is doing, and he says, hey, son, what are you doing there? And he said, well, the high tide came in and, and washed up all these starfish, and, and if, if, if I don't throw them back in the water, then, you know, by the time it gets hot today and the sun comes out, they're, they're all going to die. He says, son, he said, you, there, there's thousands of starfish on the shore. You're not going to be able to make a difference. And he looks at the old man and he reaches down and picks up another starfish. And he throws it in the water and he turns to him. He said, it makes a difference for that one. I made a difference for that one. So listen, when I tell you guys that we've been called to change the world and it looks like the world problems are, are, are too big you may feel like there's there's no hope and that you can't start to make a difference but when you find yourself thinking that way remember the story that I just told you remember the the lost sheep and you might not be able to change the entire world but you can change a small part of it for someone you can change it for one person and it will make a difference for them. And who knows what they'll do. Who knows what they'll do for the person after them or the person after them. Let's go reach the one. Amen? Go ahead and bow your heads. Worship team, if you want to make your way forward. Lord, help us to have your heart. Your heart for the lost and the broken. For, for those who are far away from you. Lord, may we never forget where we came from or what you brought us out of. May we always remember that you've given us the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy. May we always know that it's not people who are, are is our enemy but it's the powers and principalities that are behind those people that is corrupting our society, that is imprisoning people. Lord, I thank you that you called us to set the captives free. So Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a heart for souls, that you would give us a heart for the lost, 
that same passion that if we lost a child, I pray that we would have that same passion for the lost people out there. Help us to not get discouraged by the naysayers, the complainers, the people who never do anything to change anything, never have led anything, but they try to discourage us. Teach us to raise our gaze and keep our eyes on you and to know that you are with us wherever we go. And so, Lord, we give you praise and honor. And I just, in the name of Jesus, I commission every person in here as a missionary. Missionaries in their communities, missionaries in their workplaces, missionaries out on the street, missionaries where they eat dinner. I thank you that they will go out and win the lost. Win the lost. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'll give you another thing. And obviously it's the, the passion, the, the compassion that'll really give you a heart to be a soul winner. But did you know something? It's hard to kill a soul winner. God's not going to let you die if you're out there winning people to Christ. Amen. He's going to keep you around here. He's going to keep you protected. He's going to keep you healthy. He's going to keep you strong. Because he's going to say, that guy is a soul winner. That guy has my heart. Or that gal has my heart for the lost. And I'm going to protect them. And I'm going to be with them. And I'm going to bless them. And never forget the fact that one day, when the Lord calls us home, that you may have that day where you go home and there's a party waiting in heaven of all the people that you witnessed to, all the people that you shared Jesus with, all the people that you believed in when nobody else believed in them, the people that you prayed for, the people that you loved on, they're going to be there waiting for you. What a beautiful day that'll be. Amen? If you want to stand to your feet, we're going to go ahead and we're going to finish with a song of praise and worship. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to pray a blessing on each and every one of you. And you're welcome to stay in worship for as long as you want. If you are here today and you have any issue with your physical health, your physical body, before you leave, I want you to come up and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe God according to his word that you will be healed. Amen. So I'm going to open that up because uh, I believe that the, the Lord's spirit is here to heal. So we're just going to go ahead and lift your hands up to heaven. Lord, fill us now with your Holy Spirit, your life. Fill us to overflow, to overflow, to overflow in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just, I just pray a blessing on my brothers and sisters here, on my family. Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every one of them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them safe. Lord, I pray that you would provide for every need that they have. And I pray that you would give them vision and dream. And that you would give them a heart 
that would change the world, that would start as a mustard seed, that might look small and insignificant, but all of a sudden it would explode into a movement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and worship. If you need prayer, feel free to make your way up. And you're, you're free to leave whenever you want. You're free to stay as much as you want. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If I could just get some ushers up here, please. In the name of Jesus, be healed.